Section 12. A godly person is a praying person. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee. Psalm 32.6. As soon as grace is poured in, prayer is poured out. But I give myself unto prayer. Psalm 109.4. In Hebrew it is, but I prayer. Prayer and I are all one. Prayer is the soul's traffic with heaven. God comes down to us by His Spirit, and we go up to Him by prayer. Caligula placed his effigies in the capital as he whispered in Jupiter's ear. Prayer whispers in God's ear. A godly person cannot live without prayer. A person cannot live unless he takes his breath, nor can the soul live unless it breathes forth its desires to God. As soon as an infant of grace is born, he cries. No sooner was Paul converted than, behold, he prayeth. Acts 9.11 No doubt he prayed before, since he was a Pharisee, but it was either superficially or superstitiously. But when the work of grace had passed upon his soul, behold, now he prays. A godly person is on the mount of prayer every day. He begins the day with prayer. For he opens his shop, he opens his heart to God. We burn scented candles in our houses. A godly person's house is a house of perfume. He airs it with the incense of prayer. He does not engage in any business without first seeking God. Scipio never entered the Senate house without first ascending the capitol, where he did his devotions. A godly person consults God in everything. He asks his permission and his blessing. The Greeks ask counsel from their oracles, and the godly person inquires of his God. Genesis 24, 12. A true saint continually takes his heart to heaven by sacred prayers. Question. Is prayer a sign of a godly person? May not a hypocrite pray eloquently and with seeming devotion? Answer, yes, he can. They seek me daily. Isaiah 58.2 However, a hypocrite does not pray in the Spirit. Ephesians 6.18 A person may have the gift of prayer without having the Spirit of prayer. Question. How will we know that we have the spirit of prayer? Answer. When the prayer that we make is spiritual. Question. What does it mean to make a spiritual prayer? Answer 1. When we pray with knowledge. Under the law, Aaron was to light the lamps when he burned the incense upon the altar. Exodus 37. Incense typified prayer and the lighting of the lamps typified knowledge. When the incense of prayer burns, the lamp of knowledge must be lit. I will pray with the understanding. 1 Corinthians 14.13 We must know the majesty and holiness of God, so that we may be deeply affected with reverence when we come before Him. 
we must put up such petitions that are exactly adequate and agreeable to God's will. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. Ecclesiastes 5, 2 The Lord did not want a blind animal offered to him. Malachi 1, 8 How can we pray with affection when we do not pray with judgment? The Roman Catholics pray in an unknown tongue, Latin. Christ may reply to them as he did to the mother of Zebedee's children. Ye know not what ye ask. Matthew 20, 22. He who prays he knows not how will be heard he knows not when. Answer 2. A spiritual prayer is when the heart and spirit pray. There are not only words, but also desires. It is excellent when someone can say, Lord, my heart prays. Hannah prayed in her heart. 1 Samuel 1.13 The sound of a trumpet comes from within, and the excellent music of prayer comes from within the heart. If the heart does not accompany duty, it is not praying, but merely speaking. Answer 3. A spiritual prayer is a fervent prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James 5, 16. The heart, like the primum mobile, should carry the affections in a most zealous and rapid manner. Fervency is the wing of prayer by which it ascends to heaven. Prayer is expressed by sighs and groans. Romans 8.26. It is not so much the gifts of the Spirit as the groans of the Spirit that God likes. Prayer is called wrestling, Genesis 32.24, and pouring out the soul, 1 Samuel 1.15. Prayer is compared to incense, Psalm 141.2. Incense without fire does not make any sweet smell. Prayer without fervency is like incense without fire. Christ prayed with strong crying and tears. Hebrews 5.7 Crying prayer prevails. When the heart is ablaze in prayer, a Christian is carried, as it were, in a fiery chariot up to heaven. Answer 4. A spiritual prayer is that which comes from a broken heart. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Psalm 51.17 The incense was to be beaten, Leviticus 16.12, to typify the breaking of the heart in prayer. It is not the eloquent or long-winded tongue that God accepts, but the melting heart. Oh, says a Christian, I cannot pray like others. As Moses said to the Lord, I am not eloquent, Exodus 4.10. But can you weep and sigh? Does your soul melt out at your eyes? God accepts broken expressions when they come from broken hearts. I have read of a plant that bears no fruit, but weeps forth a kind of gum that is very costly. Although you do not flourish with those gifts and expressions as others might have, 
Yet if you can weep forth tears from a contrite heart, these are exceedingly precious to God, and he will put them in his bottle. Psalm 56, 8. Jacob wept in prayer and had power over the angel. Hosea 12, 4. Answer 5. A spiritual prayer is a believing prayer. Whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Matthew 21, 22. The reason why so many prayers suffer shipwreck is because they split against the rock of unbelief. Praying without faith is shooting without bullets. When faith takes prayer by the hand, then we draw near to God. We should come to God in prayer as the leper who said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Matthew 8, 2. It is a derision to God to have such a whisper in the heart that the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. Isaiah 59.1 What is said of the people of Israel may be applied to prayer. They could not enter in because of unbelief. Hebrews 3.19 Answer 6 A spiritual prayer is a holy prayer. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. 1 Timothy 2.8 Prayer must be offered on the altar of a pure heart. Sin that is lived in makes the heart hard and God's ear deaf. Sin stops the mouth of prayer. It does what the thief does to the traveler. It puts a gag in his mouth so that he cannot speak. Sin poisons and infests prayer. A wicked person's prayer is sick of the plague. And will God come near him? Magnetite loses its polarity when it is spread with garlic, and prayer loses its effectiveness when it is polluted with sin. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm 66, 18. It is foolish to pray against sin and then to sin against prayer. A spiritual prayer, like the spirits of wine, must be refined and taken off the sediment of sin that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Malachi 3, 3. If the heart is holy, this altar will sanctify the gift. Matthew 23, 19. Answer 7. A spiritual prayer is a humble prayer. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Psalm 10.17 Prayer is asking for alms, which requires humility. The publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Luke 18.13 God's incomprehensible glory may even amaze us, and strike a holy awe into us when we approach near to him. O oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee. Ezra 9.6 It is good to see a poor nothing 
lie prostrate at the feet of his Maker. Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Genesis 18.27 The lower the heart descends, the higher the prayer ascends. Answer 8. A spiritual prayer is when we pray in the name of Christ. To pray in the name of Christ is not only to name Christ in prayer, but to pray in the hope and confidence of Christ's mediation. As a child claims his estate in the right of his father who purchased it, so we come for mercy in the name of Christ who has purchased it for us in his blood. Unless we pray in this way, we do not pray at all. Rather, we provoke God. As it was with Uzziah, when he wanted to offer incense without a priest, and God was angry and struck him with leprosy, 2 Chronicles 26, 16-19, so when we do not come in Christ's name in prayer, we offer up incense without a priest. And what can we expect except to meet with wrath? Answer 9. A spiritual prayer is when we pray out of love to prayer. A wicked person may pray, but he does not love prayer. Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Job 27.10 A godly person is carried upon the wings of delight. He is never as well as when he is praying. He is not forced with fear, but is fired with love. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Isaiah 56, 7 Answer 10. A spiritual prayer is when we have spiritual intents in prayer. There is a vast difference between a spiritual prayer and a carnal desire. The desires of a hypocrite are secular and carnal. He looks shiftily in prayer. It is not the sense of his spiritual needs that moves him, but rather it is his lust. Ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. James 4, 3. The sinner prays more for food than for grace. God does not interpret this as praying, but as howling. They howled upon their beds. They assembled themselves for corn and wine. Hosea 7.14 Prayers that lack good intent lack a good answer. A godly person has spiritual intentions in prayer. He sends out his prayer as a merchant sends out his ship, so that he may have large returns of spiritual blessings. His desire in prayer is that his heart may be more holy and that he may have more communion with God. A godly person engages in the business of prayer so that he may increase the supply of grace. Answer 11. A spiritual prayer is accompanied with the use of means. There must be works as well as prayer. When Hezekiah was sick, he not only prayed for recovery, but he took a lump of figs and laid it for a plaster upon the boil. Isaiah 38, 21.
It is the same in the case of the soul when we pray against sin and avoid temptations. When we pray for grace and use opportunities to the full, this is laying a fig on the boil that will make us recover. To pray for holiness and neglect the means is like winding up the clock and taking off the weights. Answer 12. A spiritual prayer is that which leaves a spiritual disposition behind upon the heart. A Christian is better after prayer. He has gained more strength over sin, just as a person gains strength through exercise. The heart after prayer keeps a hint of holiness, just as the vessel favors and takes on a little of the characteristic of the wine that is put into it. Having been with God on the mount, Moses' face shone. In the same way, having been on the mount of prayer, our graces shine and our lives shine. This is the sign of a godly person. He prays in the Spirit. This is the right kind of praying. The gift of prayer is ordinary, like culinary fire. But spiritual prayer is more rare and excellent, like elemental fire that comes from heaven. Application 1. Is a godly person of a praying spirit? If a godly person is of a praying spirit, then this excludes the following from being godly. Those who do not pray at all. Their houses are unholy houses. It is the characteristic of a reprobate that he calls not upon the Lord. Psalm 14.4 Does that poor creature who never asks for alms think that he will get any help? Do those who never seek mercy from God think that they will receive mercy? Truly then, God would befriend them more than he did his own son. He had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears. Hebrews 5.7 None of God's children are tongue-tied. Because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Galatians 4.6 Creatures, by the instinct of nature, cry to God. The young ravens which cry. Psalm 147.9 The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. Psalm 104.21 Not to cry to God is worse than brutish. Others who pray, but seldom. These people are like that profane atheist of whom Halen speaks, who told God that he was no common beggar that he had never troubled him before, and if he would hear him now, he would never trouble him again. Others who pray, but not in the Holy Ghost. Jude one twenty, They are more like parrots than weeping doves. Their hearts do not melt in prayer. They exercise their imagination more than their affection. Application 2. If you want to demonstrate the reality of the new birth, then cry, Abba, Father. Mark 14.36 Be a person of prayer. Pray at least twice a day. 
in the temple, there was the morning and evening sacrifice. Daniel prayed three times a day. He so loved prayer that he would not neglect prayer to save his life. Daniel 6.10 Martin Luther spent three hours in prayer every day. Objection What need is there of prayer when God has made so many promises of blessings? Answer Prayer is the condition attached to the promise. Promises turn upon the hinge of prayer. I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel. Ezekiel 36.37 A king promises a pardon, but it must be requested. David had a promise that God would build him a house, but he pleaded for the promise by prayer. 2 Samuel 7.23 Christ himself had all the promises made sure to him, yet he prayed and spent whole nights in prayer. Therefore, if you hope to be considered godly, be given to prayer. Prayer sanctifies your mercies. Prayer weeds out sin and waters grace. In order to encourage Christians and hold up their heads in prayer, as Aaron and Hur held up Moses' hands, Exodus 17.12, let me offer these few considerations. 1. Prayer is a seed sown in God's ear. Other seeds sown in the ground may be picked up by the birds, but this seed, especially if watered with tears, is too precious to be lost. 2. Consider the power of prayer. Having set out the whole armor of a Christian, the Apostle Paul brings in prayer as the main part. Ephesians 6.18 Girolamo Zanchi said that without this, all the rest are of little value. By prayer, Moses divided the Red Sea. Joshua stopped the course of the sun and made it stand still. Joshua 10.13 Prayer even made the Son of Righteousness stand still. Luke 18.40 Prayer is the entrance to all blessings, spiritual and earthly. When Aurelius Antoninus went against the Germans, he had in his army a regiment of Christians who, upon their earnest prayer, obtained rain for the refreshment of his army. Because of the power of their prayers, he called them the Thundering Regiment. Prayer has power in it to destroy the bold and shameless enemies of the church. We read that the two witnesses have a flame at their lips. Fire proceeds out of their mouths that devours their enemies. Revelation 11, 5. This fire is certainly to be interpreted of their prayers. David prayed, Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. 2 Samuel 15.31 This prayer made Ahithophel hang himself. Moses' prayer against Amalek did more than Joshua's sword. Prayer has a kind of omnipotency in it. It has raised the dead, overcome angels, and cast out demons. 
It has influence upon God himself. Jacob's prayer held God. I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Genesis 32:26. Prayer finds God free, but leaves him bound. 1. Jesus Christ prays over our prayers again. He takes the dross out and presents nothing but pure gold to his Father. Christ mingles his sweet fragrance with the prayers of the saints. Revelation 5, 8. Think of the dignity of his person. He is God and the sweetness of his relationship. He is a son. Oh, then, what encouragement there is here for us to pray. Our prayers are put in the hands of a mediator. Though they are weak and imperfect as they come from us, yet they are mighty and powerful as they come from Christ. 2. Consider the sweet promises that God has made to prayer. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. Isaiah 30, 19. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me, and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 12-13. Before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Isaiah 65, 24. These promises keep the head of prayer above water. God is bound with his own promises, just as Samson was bound with his own hair. Let us then follow our Savior closely and with him pray even more earnestly. Luke 22:44. Let us be persistent followers and resolve with Bernard that we will not come away from God without God. Prayer is an explosive that will make heaven's gates fly open. Question. How can we go about praying properly? Answer. Appeal to the Spirit of God, praying in the Holy Spirit. Jude 1.20. The Holy Spirit both sparks prayer and kindles it. God understands no other language but that of His Spirit. Pray for the Holy Spirit so that you may pray in the Holy Spirit. Section 13. A godly person is a sincere person. Behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. John 1.47 The word for sincere signifies without pleats and folds. A godly person is plain-hearted, having no subtle schemes or deceptions. Christianity is the uniform a godly person wears, and this uniform is lined with sincerity. Question. In what does the godly person's sincerity appear? Answer 1. The godly person is what he seems to be. He is a Jew inwardly. Romans 2.29. Grace runs through his heart just as silver runs through the veins of the earth. The hypocrite is not what he seems. A picture is like a man, but it lacks breath. 
The hypocrite is an image, a picture. He does not breathe forth holiness, but is only like an angel on a signpost. A godly person conforms to his profession of Christ as the transcript conforms to the original. Answer 2. The godly person strives to approve himself to God in everything. We labor that, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. 2 Corinthians 5.9 It is better to have God approve than to have the world applaud. Those who ran in the Olympic race labor to have the praise of the judge and umpire of the race. There is a time soon coming when a smile from God's face will be infinitely better than all the applause of men. How sweet that word will be! Well done, thou good and faithful servant! Matthew 25, 21 A godly person is desirous of God's testimonial letters. The hypocrite desires the approval of men. Saul wanted to be popular with the people. 1 Samuel 15.30 A godly person desires to have his heart approved by God, who is both the spectator and the judge. Answer 3. The godly person is honest and sincere in laying open his sins. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. Psalm 32.5 The hypocrite veils and smothers his sin. He does not cut off his sin, but hides it. Like a patient who has some repugnant disease in his body, he would rather die than confess his disease. But a godly person's sincerity is seen in that he will confess and shame himself for sin. Lo, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly. 2 Samuel 24.17 A child of God will confess sin specifically. An unsound Christian will confess sin in general. He will acknowledge that he is a sinner in general, whereas David points, as it were, with his finger to the sore. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight. Psalm 51.4. He does not say, I have done evil, but this evil. He points at his blood guiltiness. Answer 4. The godly person has holy intentions in all he does. He affirms this objective in every ordinance so that he may grow even nearer to God and bring more glory to God. As the herb heliotropium turns about according to the motion of the sun, so a godly person's actions all move toward the glory of God. It is an axiom in philosophy that the means are in order to the end. A godly person's praying and worshiping is so that he may honor God. Although he shoots short, yet he takes correct aim. The hypocrite thinks of nothing but self-interest. The sails of his mill only move when the wind of promotion blows. He never dives into the waters of the sanctuary except to bring up a piece of gold from the bottom. Answer 5. 
The godly person abhors deceitfulness with people. His heart goes along with his tongue. He cannot both flatter and hate. Psalm 28.3 Commend and censure. Let love be without dissimulation. Romans 12.9 Pretended love is worse than hatred. Counterfeiting friendship is no better than a lie. Psalm 78.36 For there is a pretense of that which is not. Many people are like Joab. Joab took Omasa by the beard with the right hand to kiss him, and smote him therewith with his sword in the fifth rib, and he died. 2 Samuel 20, 9-10 There is a river in Spain where the fish seem to be of a golden color, but if they are taken out of the water, they are like other fish. All is not gold that glitters. There are some who pretend much kindness, but they are like large veins that have little blood. If you lean upon such people, they are like a leg out of joint. For my part, I greatly question a person's sincerity toward God if he flatters and lies to his friend. He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander, is a fool. Proverbs 10.18 By all that has been said, we may test whether we have this mark of one who is godly, being sincere. As I perceive it, sincerity is not actually a grace, but is rather an ingredient in every grace. Sincerity is that which qualifies grace, and without which grace is not true. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Ephesians 6.24 Sincerity qualifies our love. Sincerity is to grace as the blood and spirits are to the body. There can be no life without the blood, and no grace without sincerity. Application As we hope to be considered godly, let us labor for this quality of sincerity. 1. Sincerity renders us lovely in God's eyes. God says of the sincere soul, as of Zion, This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. Psalm 132.14 A sincere heart is God's paradise of delight. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, Genesis 6.8. Why? What did God see in Noah? He wore the belt of sincerity. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God, Genesis 6.9. Truth resembles God, and when God sees a sincere heart, he sees his own image and he cannot choose but to fall in love with it. Such as are upright in their way are his delight. Proverbs 11.20 2. Sincerity makes our services find acceptance with God. The Church of Philadelphia had only a little strength. Her grace was weak, and her services were slender. Yet of all the churches Christ wrote to, 
he found the least fault with her. What was the reason? Because she was most sincere. Thou hast kept fast my word, and hast not denied my name. Revelation 3, 8 Although we cannot pay God all we owe, yet a little of what we have is accepted. God takes sincerity for full payment. A little gold, though rusty, is better than base metal, no matter how bright it is. A little sincerity, though rusted over with many weaknesses, is of more value with God than all the glorious gestures of hypocrites. 3. Sincerity is our safety. False hearts that will step out of God's way and use worldly and human methods are least secure when they think they are most safe. He that walketh uprightly walketh surely. Proverbs 10, 9 A sincere Christian will do nothing except what the word allows and what is safe according to the conscience. The Lord often takes care of the outward safety of those who are upright in their way. I laid me down and slept. Psalm 3, 5 David was now besieged by enemies, yet God so encamped around him by his providence that he could sleep as securely as in a garrison. The Lord sustained me. Psalm 3.5 The only way to be safe is to be sincere. 4. Sincerity is gospel perfection. Hast thou considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man? Job 1.8 Although a Christian is full of weaknesses and, like a child who is put out to nurse, is weak and feeble, God still looks upon him as if he were completely righteous. Every true saint has the thummim of perfection upon his breastplate. 5. Sincerity is what the devil attacks most. Satan's malice was not so much at Job's possessions as at his integrity. He would have wrestled the shield of sincerity from him, but Job held that firmly. Job 27.6 A thief does not fight for an empty purse, but for money. The devil would have robbed Job of the jewel of a good conscience and then he would have been poor Job indeed. Satan does not oppose people professing to be Christian, but he opposes sincerity in those who live what they profess. Satan does not mind when people go to church and make glorious displays of holiness. Satan does not oppose this, for this does him no harm and does them no good. However, if people want to be sincerely pious, then Satan musters up all his forces against them. That which the devil most assaults, we must labor most to defend and maintain. Sincerity is our royal fort where our main treasure lies. This fort is most shot at. Therefore, let us be more careful and diligent to preserve it. While a man keeps his castle, his castle will keep him. While we keep sincerity, sincerity will keep us. 6. 
Sincerity is the beauty of a Christian. Wherein does the beauty of a diamond lie, but in the fact that it is a true diamond? If it is counterfeit, it is worth nothing. In the same way, the beauty of a Christian lies in the fact that he has truth in the inward parts. Psalm 51.6 Sincerity is a Christian's emblem of glory. It is both his breastplate to defend him and his crown to adorn him. 7. Consider the vileness of hypocrisy. The Lord did not want any leaven offered up in sacrifice. Leaven typified hypocrisy. Luke 12.1. The hypocrite does the devil double service under the shade of piety. He can sin more and be less suspected. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Matthew 23.14 Who would think that those who pray for so many hours on end would be guilty of extortion? Who would suspect of deception and dishonesty the person who has the Bible so often in his hand? Who would think that the one who seems to fear an oath would slander? Hypocrites are the worst kind of sinners. They bring infinite dishonor upon the Christian religion. Hypocrisy, for the most part, ends in scandal, and that brings an evil report on the ways of God. One person who is a hypocrite causes all those who are honest to be suspect. One scandalous hypocrite makes the world suspect that all professing Christians are like him. The hypocrite was born to spite Christianity and bring it into disrepute. The hypocrite is a liar. He worships God with his knee and worships his passions with his heart, like those who feared the Lord and served their own gods. 2 Kings 17.33 The hypocrite is a bold sinner. He knows his heart is false, yet he continues. Judas knew that he was a hypocrite, yet he asked, Master, is it I? Christ replied, Thou hast said. Matthew 26, 25. Yet he was so shameless as to persist in his falseness and betray Christ. All the plagues and curses written in the book of God are the hypocrite's portion. Hell is his place of rendezvous. Matthew 24, 51. Hypocrites are the main guests the devil expects, and he will make them as welcome as fire and brimstone can make them. 1. If the heart is sincere, God will overlook many failings. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Numbers 23, 21. God's love does not make him blind. He can see infirmities. But how does he see them? He does not see them with an eye of revenge, but with compassion. As a physician sees a disease in his patient, so as to heal him. God does not see iniquity in Jacob so as to destroy him, but to heal him. He went on forwardly in the way of his heart. I have seen his ways and will heal him. Isaiah 57, 17-18 How much pride, 
vanity, and passion does the Lord pass by in His sincere ones. He sees the integrity and pardons the infirmity. How much God overlooked in Asa! The high places were not taken away, yet it is said that the heart of Asa was perfect all his days. 2 Chronicles 15.17 We admire a drawing, even though it is not drawn full size. In the same way, even though the graces of God's people are not drawn to their full size, having many scars and spots, yet having something of God in sincerity, they will find mercy. God loves the sincere, and it is the nature of love to cover infirmity. Proverbs 10:12. 2. Nothing but sincerity will give us comfort in an hour of trouble. King Hezekiah thought he was dying, yet it revived him that conscience drew up a testimony for him. Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart. Isaiah 38, 3. Sincerity was the best jewel in his crown. What a golden shield this will be against Satan when he roars at us by his temptations and sets our sins before us on our deathbed, then we will answer, It is true, Satan, these have been our transgressions, but we have mourned them. If we have sinned, it was against the intent and purpose of our hearts. This will stop the devil's mouth and cause him to retreat. Therefore, labor for this jewel of sincerity. If our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. 1 John 3.21 If we are cleared at the small court of our conscience, then we may be confident that we will be acquitted before the great judge on the day of judgment. Section 14 A godly person is a heavenly person. A godly person is a heavenly person. Heaven is in him before he is in heaven. The Greek word for saint, hagios, signifies a person taken away from the earth. A person may live in one place, yet belong to another. He may live in Spain, yet be a free citizen of England. Poponius lived in Athens, yet he was a citizen of Rome. In the same way, a godly person is in the world for a little while, but he belongs to the Jerusalem above. That is the place to which he aspires. Every day is Ascension Day with a believer. The saints are called stars for their radiance. Daniel 12.3 They have gone above into the upper region. The way of life is above to the wise. Proverbs 15, 24. A godly person is heavenly in six ways. 1. In his choices. 2. In his affections. 3. In his communication. 4. In his activity. 5. In his expectation. 6. In his conduct. 1. A godly person is heavenly in his choices. He chooses heavenly objects. David chose to be a resident in God's house. Psalm 
A godly person chooses Christ and grace ahead of the most eminent things under the sun. What a person becomes is a result of his choices, and choosing God is best seen in a critical hour. When Christ and the world come into competition, and we part with the world to keep Christ and a good conscience, that is a sign that we have chosen the better part. Luke 10:42. 2. A godly person is heavenly in his affections. He sets his affections on things above. Colossians 3:2. He sends his heart to heaven before he gets there. He looks upon the world as only a beautiful prison, and he cannot be much in love with his chains, even if they are made of gold. A holy person contemplates glory and eternity. His desires have gotten wings and have fled to heaven. Grace is in the heart like fire, which makes it sparkle upward in divine desires and prayers. 3. A godly person is heavenly in his communication. His words are sprinkled with salt to season others. Colossians 4, 6. As soon as Christ had risen from the grave, he was speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Acts 1, 3. No sooner has someone risen from the grave of unrighteousness than he is speaking of heaven. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Ecclesiastes 10.12 He speaks in such a heavenly manner as if he were already in heaven. The love he has for God will not allow him to be silent. The spouse being sick of love. Song of Solomon 5.8 Her tongue was as the pen of a ready writer. Psalm 45.1 My beloved is white and ruddy the chiefest among ten thousand. His head is as the most fine gold. Song of Solomon 5, 10 to 11. If there is wine in the house, the bush will be hung outside. And where there is a principle of godliness in the heart, it will display itself as the lips. The bush will be hung up. How can they be called godly who are possessed with a mute devil? They never have any good conversation. They are fluent and rambling enough in secular things. They can speak of their jobs and health, and they can tell what a good crop they have. But in matters of the Christian religion, it is as if their tongues are stuck to the roof of their mouths. There are many people in whose company you cannot tell what to make of them, whether they are Muslims or atheists for they never speak a word about Christ. How can they be called godly whose tongues are set on fire by hell? Their lips do not drop honey but poison to the defiling of others. Plutarch says that speech should be like gold, which is of most value when it has the least amount of dross in it. Oh, the unclean, malicious words that some people utter! What an unpleasant stench comes from these dunghills. Those lips that gallop so fast in sin need David's bridle. Psalm 39.1 Can the body be healthy when the tongue is black? Can the heart be holy when the devil is in the lips? 
a godly person speaks the language of Canaan. Isaiah 19.18 They that feared the Lord spake often one to another. Malachi 3.16 4. A godly person is heavenly in his activity. The motions of the planets are celestial. A godly person is sublime and sacred in his activity. He works out salvation. He puts forth all his strength, as they did in the Greek Olympics, so that he may obtain the garland made of the flowers of paradise. He prays, fasts, and watches. He offers violence to heaven. Matthew 11:12. He is divinely motivated. He carries on God's interest in the world. He does the work of an angel. He is seraphic in his actions. 5. A godly person is heavenly in his expectation. His hopes are above the world, in hope of eternal life. Titus 1-2 A godly person casts anchor within the veil. Hebrews 6-19 He hopes to have his chains of sin filed off. He hopes for such things as eye has not seen. 1 Corinthians 2.9 He hopes for a kingdom when he dies, a kingdom promised by the Father, purchased by the Son, and assured by the Holy Spirit. Just as an heir lives in hope of the time when such a great estate will be left to him, so a child of God, who is a co-heir with Christ, hopes for glory. This hope comforts him in all kinds of conditions. He rejoices in hope of the glory of God. Romans 5.2 This hope comforts a godly person in affliction. Hope lightens and sweetens the most severe portions. A child of God can laugh with tears in his eyes. The time is soon coming when the cross will be taken off his shoulders and a crown set on his head. A saint at present is miserable, with a thousand troubles. He will soon be clothed with robes of immortality and advanced above seraphim. This hope comforts a godly person in death. The righteous hath hope in his death. Proverbs 14:32. If someone would ask a dying saint, when all his earthly comforts have gone, what he had left, he would say, the helmet of hope. I have read of a woman martyr who, when the persecutors commanded that her breasts should be cut off, said, Tyrant, do your worst. I have two breasts that you cannot touch, the one of faith and the other of hope. A soul that has this blessed hope is above the desire of life or the fear of death. Would anyone be troubled at exchanging a poor lease for an inheritance that will be for him and his heirs? Who would worry about parting with life, which is a lease that will soon run out, to be given a glorious inheritance in light? 6. A godly person is heavenly in his conduct. A godly person casts a luster of holiness that adorns his profession of following Jesus Christ. He lives as if he had seen the Lord with his bodily eyes. What zeal, sanctity, and humility shines forth in his life! 
A godly person imitates not only the angels, but imitates Christ himself. 1 John 2, 6 The Macedonians celebrate the birthday of Alexander, on which day they wear his picture around their necks, set with pearl and rich jewels. In the same way, a godly person carries the living picture of Christ about him in the heavenliness of his behavior. Our conversation is in heaven. Philippians 3.20 Application 1 Those who are consumed with the world will be rejected as ungodly at the judgment. To be both godly and earthly is a contradiction. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. Philippians 3, 18-19 We read that the earth swallowed up Korah alive. Numbers 16:32. This judgment is on many. The earth swallows up their time, thoughts, and discourse. They are buried twice, for their hearts are buried in the earth before their bodies. How sad it is that the soul, that princely thing that is made for communion with God and angels, would be put to the mill to grind and made a slave to the earth. The soul has become like the prodigal, choosing to converse with swine, and feed upon husks, rather than to aspire after communion with the blessed deity. Thus does Satan deceive people and keep them from heaven by making them seek a heaven here. Application 2. As we want to give evidence that we are born of God, let us be of a noble, heavenly disposition. We will never go to heaven when we die unless we are in heaven while we live. So that we may be more noble and raised in our affections, let us seriously weigh these four considerations. 1. God himself sounds a retreat to us to call us away from the world. Love not the world. 1 John 2.15 Do not hunt after its honors and profits. God's providences, like his precepts, are to take our affection away from this world. Why does he send war and pestilence? What does the heat of this great anger mean? Surely, dying times are to make people die to the world. 2. Consider how much below a Christian it is to be earthly-minded. We sometimes laugh at children when we see them busying themselves with toys, blowing bubbles in the air out of a shell kissing their dolls, etc., when in the meantime, we do the same. At death, what will all the world be that we so much hug and kiss? Like a rag doll, it will yield us no more comfort then. How far it is below a heaven-born soul to be taken up with these things. Those who profess to be ennobled with a principle of piety and to have their hopes above, greatly disparage their heavenly calling when they have their hearts below and spot their silver wings of grace by smearing them with dirt. 3. 
Consider what a poor, contemptible thing the world is. It is not worth setting the affections on. It cannot fill the heart. If Satan would take a Christian up to the Mount of Temptation and show him all the kingdoms and glory of the world, what could he show him except a mirage or a delusion? Nothing here can be proportionate to the immense soul of man. In the fullness of his sufficiency, he shall be in straits. Job 20.22 This is lacking while in plenty. The creature will no more fill the soul than a drop will fill the bucket. And that little bit of sweet that we sip from the creature is intermixed with some bitterness, like the cup that the Jews gave Christ. They gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh. Mark 15.23 This imperfect sweet taste will not last long, for the world passeth away. 1 John 2.17 The creature merely salutes us and is soon on the way out. The world is full of changes. It is never constant except in its disappointments. How quickly we will leave our lodging and make our pillow in the dust. The world is merely a great inn where we are to stay a night or two and be gone. What insanity it is to set our hearts upon our inn and to forget our home. 1. Consider what a glorious place heaven is. We read of an angel coming down from heaven who set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth. Revelation 10.2 If we had only once been in heaven and viewed its superlative glory, how we might in holy scorn trample with one foot on the earth and with the other foot upon the sea. Heaven is called a better country. Hebrews 11.16 Heaven is said to be a better country in opposition to the country where we now dwell. Our hearts should be on that better country. Question. In what sense is heaven a better country? Answer 1. In that country above, there are better delights. There is the tree of life and the rivers of pleasure. There is amazing beauty and unsearchable riches. There are the delights of angels. There is the flower of joy fully opened. There is more than we can ask or think. Ephesians 3.20 There is glory in its full dimensions and beyond all hyperbole. Answer 2. In that country, there is a better dwelling place. It is a house not made with hands. 2 Corinthians 5.1 To signify its excellence, there was never any house that was not made with hands. But the house above surpasses the art and skill of man and angel. No one except God could lay a stone in that building. It is eternal in the heavens. 2 Corinthians 5.1 It is not a guest house, but it is a mansion. It is a house that will never need any repairs. Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. Proverbs 9.1, which can never decay. Answer 3. In that country, there are better provisions. In our Father's house, 
there is abundant bread. Heaven was typified by Canaan, which flowed with milk and honey. There is the royal feast and the spiced wine. There is angels' food. There they serve those rare foods and delicacies that will exceed not only our expressions, but also our faith. Answer 4. In that country, there is better society. There is God blessed forever. Romans 9, 5. How infinitely sweet and lovely will a smile of his face be. The king's presence makes the court. There are the glorious cherubim. In this terrestrial country where we now live, we are among wolves and serpents. But in that country above, we will be among angels. There are the spirits of just men made perfect. Hebrews 12.23 Here, the people of God are clouded with infirmities and weaknesses. We see them with spots on their faces. They are full of pride, passion, and condemnation. In that Jerusalem above, though, we will see them in their royal garments, clothed with unparalleled beauty, not having the least hint or shadow of sin on them. Answer 5. In that country, there is a better air to breathe in. Now we go into the country for air, but the best air is only to be had in that better country. 1. It is a more gentle air. The climate is calm and moderate. We will neither freeze from the cold nor faint from the heat. 2. It is brighter air. There is a better light shining there. The sun of righteousness enlightens that horizon with his glorious beams. The Lamb is the light thereof. Revelation 21-23 3. It is purer air. We consider the marshes, which are full of black mist, to have bad air and are an unwholesome place to live. This world is a place of bogs and marshes where the harmful mist of sin arises, making it pestilential and unwholesome to live in. However, in that country above, there is none of this mist, but there is a sweet perfume of holiness. There is the smell of the orange tree and the pomegranate. There is the myrrh and cassia coming from Christ, which send forth a most fragrant scent. Answer 6. In that country, there is better soil. The land or soil is better. 1. For its altitude. The earth lying low is of a lesser pedigree. The element which is nearest heaven is purer and more excellent, like the fire. That country above is the high country. It is seated far above all the visible stars and planets. Psalm 24.3 2. For its fertility. It bears a richer crop. The richest harvest on earth is the golden harvest, but the country above yields noble commodities. There are celestial pearls, the spiritual vine, and the honeycomb dripping with God's love. There is the water of life, the hidden manna, fruit that does not rot, and flowers that never fade. There is a crop that cannot be totally harvested. It will always be reaping time in heaven. 
and the land produces all this without the labor of plowing and sowing. 3. For its inoffensiveness. There are no briars there. The world is a wilderness where there are wicked people, and the best of them is as a briar. Micah 7.4 They tear the people of God in their spiritual liberties, but in the country above there is not one briar to be seen, for all the briars are burned. 4. For the rareness of the view. All that a person sees there is his own. I consider the best view to be that where a person can see furthest on his own ground. Answer 7. In that country, there is better unity. All the inhabitants are knit together in love. The poisonous weed of malice does not grow there. There is harmony without division and love without envy. In that country above, as in Solomon's temple, no noise of the hammer is heard. 1 Kings 6-7 Answer 8. In that country, there is better business. While we are here, we are complaining of our needs and weeping over our sins. But there, we will be praising God. How the birds of paradise will chirp when they are in that celestial country. There, the morning stars will sing together, and all the saints of God will shout for joy. Oh, how we should aspire after this country above. Those who have their eyes opened will see that it infinitely excels. An ignorant person looks at a star, and it appears to him as a little silver spot. But the astronomer, who has his instrument to judge the dimension of a star, knows that it is many degrees larger than the earth. In the same way, a natural man hears that the heavenly country is very glorious, but it is at a great distance. Because he does not have a spirit of discernment, the world looks bigger in his eye. However, those who are spiritual artists, who have the instrument of faith to judge of heaven, will say it is by far the better country, and they will hurry there with the sails of desire. Section 15. A Godly Person is a Zealous Person. Grace turns a saint into a seraph. It makes him burn in holy zeal. Zeal is a mixed affection, a compound of love and anger. It carries forth our love to God and anger against sin in the most intense manner. Zeal is the flame of the affections. A godly person has a double baptism of water and fire. He is baptized with a spirit of zeal. He is zealous for God's honor, truth, and worship. My zeal hath consumed me. Psalm 119, 139. It was a crown set on Phineas's head that he was zealous for his God. Numbers 25, 13. Moses, touched with a coal from God's altar, broke the tablets in his zeal. Exodus 32:19 In his zeal our blessed savior whipped the buyers and sellers out of the temple The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up John 2:17 But there is a peculiar heat 
something looking like zeal, but is not. A comet looks like a star. I will therefore show some differences between true and false zeal. False zeal. A false zeal is a blind zeal. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Romans 10.2. This is not the fire of the Spirit, but wildfire. The Athenians were very devout and zealous, but they did not know for what. I found an altar with this inscription, To the Unknown God. Acts 17.23. The Roman Catholics are zealous in their way, but they have taken away the key of knowledge. A false zeal is a self-seeking zeal. Jehu cried, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. 2 Kings 10.16 It was not zeal, though, but ambition. He was fishing for a crown. Demetrius pleaded for the goddess Diana, but it was not her temple he was zealous for, but her silver shrines. Acts 19.25-27 Ignatius complained of such zealots in his time that they made a trade of Christ and religion by which to enrich themselves. It is probable that many in King Henry VIII's time were eager to pull down the abbeys, not out of any zeal against popery, but so they could build their own houses upon the ruins of those abbeys, like eagles that fly high up in the sky, but their eyes are looking down upon their prey. If blind zeal is punished sevenfold, hypocritical zeal will be punished seventy-sevenfold. A false senseless zeal is a misguided zeal. It occurs most in things that are not commanded. It is the sign of a hypocrite to be zealous for traditions and careless of institutions. The Pharisees were more zealous about washing their cups than their hearts. A false zeal is fired with passion. When James and John wanted to call for fire from heaven, they were rebuked by our Savior. Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. Luke 9.55 It was not zeal, but anger. Many have joined the cause of religion out of dissension and impulse, rather than out of zeal for the truth. True Zeal However, the zeal of a godly person is a true and holy zeal that authenticates itself in its effects. True zeal cannot tolerate an offense done to God. Zeal makes the blood rise when God's honor is impeached. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Revelation 2, 2. He who zealously loves his friend cannot hear him spoken against and be silent. True zeal will encounter the greatest difficulties. When the world holds out a gorgon's head of danger to discourage us, zeal casts out fear. It is energized by opposition. Zeal does not say, There is a lion in the way. Proverbs 26.13 
Zeal will charge through an army of dangers. It will march in the face of death. Let news be brought to Paul that he would be ambushed, that bonds and afflictions awaited him in every city. Acts 20.23 And this set a sharper edge upon his zeal. I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 21.13 As sharp frosts seem to make the fire burn hotter, so sharp oppositions only inflame zeal even more. As true zeal has knowledge to go before it, so it has sanctity to follow after it. Wisdom is out in front of zeal, and holiness brings up the rear. A hypocrite seems to be zealous, but he is vicious. The godly person is white and ruddy. Song of Solomon 5.10 White in purity as well as ruddy in zeal. Christ's zeal was hotter than the fire, and his holiness purer than the sun. Zeal that is genuine loves truth, even when it is despised and opposed. They have made void thy law. Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold. Psalm 119, 126-127 The more others deride holiness, the more we love it. The Christian religion is not worse simply because others belittle it. Does a diamond sparkle any less because a blind man criticizes it? The more outrageous the wicked are against the truth, the more courageous the godly are for it. When McCall scoffed at David's religious dancing before the ark, he said, If this is what it means to be vile, I will yet be more vile. 2 Samuel 6.22 True zeal causes fervency in duty. Fervent in spirit. Romans 12.11 Zeal makes us hear with reverence, pray with affection, and love with fervor. God kindled Moses' sacrifice from heaven. There came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering. Leviticus 9.24 When we are zealous in devotion, and our heart becomes hot within us, there is a fire from heaven kindling our sacrifice. How dreadful it is for a person to be all fire when he is sinning, and all ice when he is praying. A pious heart, like water boiling hot, boils over in holy affections. True zeal is never out of breath. Although it is vigorous, it is perpetual. No waters can quench the flame of zeal. It is glowing even in the frigid zone. The heat of zeal is like the natural heat coming from the heart, which lasts as long as life. That zeal that is not constant was never true. Application 1. How opposite to godliness are those who belittle zeal and consider it a religious frenzy? Those who belittle and disparage true zeal are for the light of knowledge, but not for the heart of zeal. When Basil was earnest in preaching against the Arian heresy, 
it was interpreted as folly and senility. Christianity is a matter requiring zeal. The kingdom of heaven will not be taken except by violence. Matthew 11.12 Objection But why so much fervor in Christianity? What becomes, then, of prudence? Answer Although prudence should direct zeal, yet it should not destroy it. Because sight is needful, must the body therefore have no heat? If prudence is the eye in the Christian religion, then zeal is the heart. Question. But where is moderation? Answer. Although moderation in things of indifference is commendable, and undoubtedly it would greatly help in settling the peace of the church, yet in the main articles of faith, wherein God's glory and our salvation are at stake, moderation is nothing but sinful neutrality. It was Calvin's advice to Melanchthon that he should not so affect the name of moderate that he would end up losing all his zeal. Objection. But the Apostle Paul urges moderation. Let your moderation be known unto all. Philippians 4.5 Answer. The Apostle is speaking there of moderating our emotion. The Greek word for moderation signifies candor and meekness, which is the opposite of rash anger. That same word is translated as patient in 1 Timothy 3. By moderation, then, is meant meekness of spirit. That is made clear by the subsequent words in Philippians 4.5. The Lord is at hand, as if the apostle had said, Do not avenge yourselves, for the Lord is at hand. He is ready to avenge your personal wrongs, but this in no way hinders a Christian from being zealous in matters of Christianity. What strangers they are to godliness who have no zeal for the glory of God. They can see his ordinances despised and his worship polluted, yet their spirits are not at all stirred up in them. How many are of a dull, lukewarm attitude, zealous for their own worldly interest, but having no zeal for the things of heaven. They are hot in their own cause, but cool in God's. The Lord most abhors lukewarm, nominal Christians. I almost said that he is sick of them. I would thou wert cold or hot, anything but lukewarm. So then, because thou art neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Revelation 3, 15-16 A lukewarm Christian is only half-baked, just like Ephraim. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Hosea 7, 8 To keep up a form of Christianity without zeal is to be like those bodies that the angels assumed, which moved but had no life in them. I would ask these half-hearted, neutral-professing Christians these questions. If Christianity is not a good cause, why did you undertake it at first? If it is a good cause, why do you go about it so carelessly? Why do you not have any more holy fervor of soul? 
These people would gladly go to heaven on a soft bed, but are unwilling to be carried there in a fiery chariot of zeal. Remember that God will be zealous against those who are not zealous for him. He provides the fire of hell for those who lack the fire of zeal. Application 2. If you desire to be found in the list of the godly, strive for zeal. It is better to have no Christianity than not to be zealous in the Christian religion. Beware of carnal policy. This is one of those three things that Luther feared would be the death of the Christian religion. Some people have become too wise to be saved. Their discretion has quenched their zeal. Beware of sloth, which is an enemy to zeal. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Revelation 3:19. Christians, what do you reserve your zeal for? Is it for your gold that perishes, or for your feelings and emotions that will make you perish? Can you bestow your zeal better than upon God? How zealous people have been in a false religion. They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance. Isaiah 46, 6. The Jews did not spare any cost in their idolatrous worship. No, they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Moloch. Jeremiah 32, 35. They were so zealous in their idol worship that they would sacrifice their sons and daughters to their false gods. How far did the short-sighted heathen go in their false zeal? When the tribunes of Rome complained that they wanted gold in their treasuries to offer to Apollo, the Roman matrons took off their chains of gold and rings and bracelets and gave them to the priests to offer up in sacrifice. Were these people so zealous in their sinful worship, and will you not be zealous in the worship of the true God? Can you lose anything by your zeal? Will it not be more than abundantly recompensed? What is heaven worth? What is a sight of God worth? Was not Jesus Christ zealous for you? He sweated drops of blood. He conflicted with his Father's wrath. How zealous was he for your redemption? And have you no zeal for him? Is there anything you hate more than apathy and slothfulness in your employees? You are weary of such people. Do you dislike a dull spirit in others, but do not mind it in yourselves? All your duties without zeal are mere imaginations and nothings. Do you know what a glorious thing zeal is? It is the luster that sparkles from grace. It is the flame of love. It resembles the Holy Spirit. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 3-4 Tongues of fire were assembled to represent that fire of zeal that the Spirit poured upon them. Zeal makes all our Christian duties prevail with God. The iron enters best when it is red hot, and when our services are red hot with zeal, they most quickly pierce heaven. 